Hello, and welcome to Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation's podcast. We support people affected by all forms of lung cancer and work to raise awareness of symptoms to ensure more people are diagnosed earlier. We fund research into early detection and patient experience, as well as providing life-changing support services to people who are living with lung cancer. We're thrilled to be launching our Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast. With this and the coming episodes, we hope to educate, inform and encourage more conversations around lung cancer, because the reality is, lung cancer can affect anyone. So, let's talk about lung cancer. Welcome to Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation's podcast, Let's Talk About Lung Cancer. I'm Lorraine Dallas, the Director of Information Prevention and Support, and I am delighted to be joined today by Jane and Steve Holmes. Hello, Jane and Steve. Would you like to introduce yourselves and tell us where we find you today? Uh, I'm Jane Holmes, um, and we live over in West Wales, in um, near, not too far from Lampeter, um, on a bit of a wet and blustery day, but it's, <laughs> it's quite nice. I'm Stephen. Uh, delighted to be supporting my wife, Jane. So delighted to be here. Thank you both so much for agreeing to do this. And as part of our new podcast, we really welcome the opportunity to talk to people about their experiences and perspectives on lung cancer. And we appreciate the experience and willingness of both both of you to talk about it. So to start us off, Jane, would you like to tell us a bit more about your experience of lung cancer and what led to your diagnosis? Yeah, Um, I was diagnosed in 2014. Um, I'd initially gone to the doctor because I felt like I was almost breathing in cold air a bit up the right hand side of my nose and it just didn't feel a bit right so um, and the GP then forwarded me on for a sinus check. Um, I'd been to the dentist before that just to make sure it wasn't anything to do with teeth and the x-ray on those was fine so um, the GP sent me for the sinus check which took about four months because it was routine nothing urgent um, and that came back all clear so I ended up going back to the GP um, saying, well, where do we go from here? You know, it's, I didn't think it was a big issue, you know. Um, and luckily for me, um, the GP was a thorough GP and she said, well, let's get a, a chest X-ray. Um, and was thinking of kind of maxiofacial as well as something, mm-hmm. um, but we never got to that far because we did the chest X-ray um, and that showed up a tumor. So initially they thought it was stage one lung cancer and it was all all great it's been caught early and they were they were really good because they were running tests in parallel and we were kind of meeting with surgeons who was going to do operations um whilst doing a pet scan to see if what the spread was um and unfortunately when they finished the pet scan it, it was found that it had gone to my neck as well and um, so i'd got two nodes on either side of my neck that were malignant as well um and some media mediastinal mediastinal nodes um, and so it went to stage 3B. So surgery then slid off the table mm. and the conversations all changed. <laughs> so for you, Jane, your diagnosis um, was fairly um, rapid and progressing, but unexpected. And the way your staging went meant that your, your prognosis wasn't as good as you'd first hoped. How, how was that for you? Was that a long difficult period or did it all happen quite quickly in hindsight it seems to have happened quite quickly I think at the time 
you know, we were, we were almost broken into it a bit gently because it was, oh, you've got lung cancer, but it's stage one and you'll be fine. You know, we, you can do surgery, you know, might have a bit of chemo, but this is caught really early, everything's great. So we kind of came out of that thinking, oh God, lung cancer, you know, mm-hmm. never expected that. Mm-hmm. So by the time the conversations all changed, we'd kind of got over the shock of the first bit, if you see what I mean. Yeah. So, but we did kind of end up in this washing machine of, you know, spin cycle of just tests and scans and conversations where we didn't really know what people were talking about. You know, we don't know hotspots on scans or what does that mean? Someone said, oh, you've got a hotspot. I'm like, have I? <laughs> what is you know, what that a good thing? <laughs> what are the implications of that? I don't know what questions to ask or... So we were really lucky with our team, I think, down there as well. They were all very helpful. Um, and we'd got a Macmillan nurse as well who was involved in discussions. Um, and we ended up, we did go to London, had a second opinion there. Um, and the team over here in Wales were really helpful as well with that and tried to carry on doing all the things they wanted to do to line me up for chemo. Mm. Um, in the hope that if the second opinion suggested the same, then I'd be ready to go on the Monday that we came back. And that's exactly what happened. They said, yes, that's what we would be doing. We came back and I'd already started some of the, was that folic acid or something that she said, well, it won't do you any harm, but we would need to do it before you start. So I just started it and we could always change if we needed to. So that was really helpful. But I think it was a bit of a shocker in terms of having met the surgeon. Mm. The fact the staging had changed I think we thought, oh, well, that's okay. We'll just do it a different way around and have surgery after chemo or something like that. And then people were saying, no, that's not the option. Now we're talking like palliative care and, you know, chemotherapy. And I you know, made the mistake of saying, well, you know, what are the chances of survival? What's prognosis? Mm. The chap said, oh, about one in three people in your stage will be here in a year's time. And I was, you know, I was out running and stuff. So I was really like, you know yeah how does that mean the next year is going to look mm-hmm. you know it's very hard to put that to when you feel well yes um he did caveat it by saying you're younger than a lot of people who would be who I'm seeing normally and you're fitter potentially mm-hmm. so you know that was a little glimmer of hope but it was just all new you know you kind of think well you know how do, how do you have a prognosis like that when you feel well for you, Steve, how did you adjust when Jane was going through these investigations and diagnosis and what helped you to support her in those early days? As Jane said, it was a complete shock from day one, you know, and it was a bit of a roller coaster ride. Um, mm-hmm. You're going from a different consultant to an next test or whatever. Uh, I guess what helped me was having some sort of a I've got a bit of a medical research background. Mm-hmm. Uh, lung cancer was all very new, but it certainly helped focus sort of questions to be asked to the consultants that we met. It sort of uh, directed us in terms of trying to get the second opinion, I guess, taking control of what we could take control of. Mm-hmm. Everything it seemed was out of control, but at least there was some small sliver that uh, it seemed that we could do that to sort of help me in trying to get a sense of what we were going through as difficult as it was, but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a bubble. Those first two months were a bubble before the first day of treatment, uh, chemotherapy. It was just going from one diagnosis to another diagnosis to new information. 
it was confusing. You know, it was uh, a lot to take in. It was difficult. I was going to say, we also, in the early days, I started going on some lung cancer forums as well, and um, the Health Unlocked one and an Inspire um, forum. Because as I mentioned earlier, I didn't really know what questions perhaps mm. should be asked, you know, and so I'd ended up putting out a, a kind of almost a synopsis of where I was at. This is what we've been told. This is the stage in this whole process where I'm at. What do people you know, what are people's experiences? Has anyone got similar, you know, outlook? And and that was really useful, actually, because people came back and said, oh, have you been tested for mutations? And I, I was like, what, what's a mutation? And actually I had been, but I'd forgotten to put it in the synopsis. But yeah. I thought, well, actually, if I hadn't been, that would have been useful to know. Fortunately, I knew the lady that I got referred to, who, as the oncologist, um, we knew her previously from running. So I ended up texting her when I got referred to her when surgery was off the table and saying, I think I'm coming to you professionally now. And she was great. She just texted back and said, you know, don't Google, <laughs> just go on <laughs> NHS websites. I'll see you, you know, and obviously if I didn't want her and wanted someone else and that could be arranged, but you know, so there was a, to start with, she was a nice contact to have because I knew her slightly beforehand. So, um, but yes, it was, those forums as well, I think that were quite helpful to bounce things off. But then you also have to take the caveat that it's not medical advice and it's other people, as we did end up further down the line where I'd then become eligible for surgery. And, you know, I'd, I'd heard on the forum about, oh, well, if you have surgery now, then you might not be eligible for trials later on because primary tumour will have gone and they can't rate how the trial's going. And, and I was really like, because oh, I was so pleased to have got to the point where we could have surgery that I thought, well, I don't really want to scupper mm. chances of not having a trial if I need that. And so I emailed my oncologist and he just came back and said, the forum's wrong. <laughs> you know, and I was like, okay, fine. You know, but it's that kind of bearing that in mind, I think, when you're asking things, but it's a useful place to be able to bounce things off. Yeah. We are uh, well together in those early mm. days and still do in terms of going into a, a meeting or consultants meeting mm. with a list of questions, a notepad, a blank notepad to take down notes from what they said as well. So it's a uh, clear going in, trying to get the answers that we want or we think we want and coming out then perhaps more answers, but having a record of it. So mm. we're not sort of, uh, we're glazed over with what we've heard and sure. we can go away from that with mm. looking you know, forward a bit more mm. clearly. Okay. I think it's such a great support, you know, and having that extra person in there when you get a bit bamboozled by something, you know, Stephen said you must miss the next five sentences, whereas if someone else is able to take that on board. Um, and that first oncologist lady that we had at one point, you know, I remember her saying to me, don't get too far ahead. Because I was like, so if we have chemo and we don't do this, and then can I have radiotherapy? And then could we have surgery? You know, and she'd be like, stop. <laughs> you know, just let's do chemo and we'll do a scan midway. And then we'll talk about what we're going to do for the next bit. So your life stops being years ahead. It's like, well, let's get to the next scan and then we'll review. The sooner lung cancer is caught, the easier it is to treat. However, vagueness of symptoms and disease misconceptions mean that many patients face delays to their diagnosis. Our new awareness campaign, On the Right Path, aims to change this by increasing awareness of symptoms, providing symptom validation, and challenging those disease misconceptions. Find out more by visiting roycastle.org forward slash on the right path.
I guess, you know, you have been through different treatment experiences. Over time, have you adapted what you ask and when you ask it? And have you found it easier as you've got used to, as you say, speaking in another language? Yes. Yes, I think we have. We've, we've, as Stephen said, we go with our list. I think the oncologist probably, you know, thinks, oh, God, here they come with that little book again. You know, but actually, if he says the scan results are fine, you know, we might just shut the book. But if he says they're not, you know, or I've got something that I might have been worried about, say, I've, you know, my shoulder's been hurting or something like that. If the scans are fine, I don't bother to ask him because it's not relevant. You know, it's probably just an achy shoulder. I'm like, no, well, I feel fine then. You know, if it's just a headache, it's just a headache if the scans are fine. So we have we do hone it now, whereas I probably would have asked everything and much more previously. Um, you know, I'm in the very fortunate position where, you know, recently he has been saying the scans are fine. So we might have a little social chit chat and just sort out next scans. Um, but, you know, we know more about what he's talking about now. And I think also perhaps more about what we should be worried about and what we shouldn't be. You know, I've had a lot of chest infections. I've had some pneumonia and things like that. You know, I've got a packet of antibiotics that I'm allowed to keep at home. I had my scan just after I finished the antibiotics. And I've been doing sporty stuff, you know, straight after that, as I tend to do. And when we got the scan results, he said, oh, you know, how are you feeling? And I said, oh, OK, not too bad. And he said, oh, well, the top bit of your lungs collapsed. And I was like, oh, I thought it was a chest infection. I'd just taken antibiotics, you know, so... It's that kind of, I can, he said, oh no, because that's exactly what you should have done in terms of managing it. If it was, because I thought it was either chest infection or perhaps felt a bit like the pneumonia had. But, you know, you get a bit more blase about it, I suppose. I was a bit like, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, so, um, so, I don't know, it's just managing yourself and knowing what your symptoms feel like and, you know, what you should worry about. And you learn as you go along a bit. But, you know, overall, with, you know, as I say, I feel very lucky and fit and healthy and out being able to be out and doing sport and enjoying runs and everything. So, yeah, you have both been incredibly proactive and found ways of, again, the, the jargon they use is advocacy, you know, so ensuring that you get the, the answers and are are, are getting the information that you need when you need it. Hmm. Do you think that's something that you would recommend to other people? I, I think so, definitely. I mean, I'm, I used to work in the NHS and, um, and so I have a bit of an understanding of how the NHS works, I guess, but I'm also my own advocate with Stephen as well, you know, and, and in a way when it became when I'd gone down the chemotherapy and radiotherapy and it was like, we were still focusing on surgery, you know, and we were pushing, you know, I was, a, I was a pushy patient and um, I got on quite well with the surgeon afterwards. And she actually said, you know, I don't know if you, I would have operated because I'd had so much radiotherapy. There was a risk to operating on the area. Um, you know, and she was almost like, you know, you kind of pushed me to giving it a go because you're fit and healthy and your circumstances were okay. And, um, you know, she said, now I've done it. I'd look at similar cases perhaps differently because she was able to do it with keyhole and it was all great. But I'm very much that you should advocate. And, you know, even if you go to your GP, if you think something's wrong and they say, oh, have some antibiotics or it's a chest infection, it'll go away. You know, if you're worried, I'd, I'd go and see a different GP. 
you know it's and yes we do email i'll email the oncologist and you know i'm very fortunate i've got a a good oncologist who'll come back if there's i don't hound him with anything but if there's something that i'm worried about you know and i'll, I'll ring them and I'll, if i'm on a list it's like when's my appointment you know and and if someone's off on leave i've had things where it's like oh well email to here and you know there wasn't any bounce back but when i rang to say have you got it the person was on leave and I said oh well who picks up her emails and they said oh no one you know and I was like well who are you can I email you can you print it off can you put it on her desk which she said yes so I rang back and like have you done that <laughs> you know but it was I mean it was sounding really controlling but it was for surgery and I needed it and I knew I needed it and I didn't want it sitting in someone's tray so if they decide clinically that I'm not appropriate fine but I didn't want it just you know progressing you know it was still within me yeah I didn't want to be further down the line and then go oh no we lost that or you know Julie was off sick or something you know it just needed to be done so I am a bit proactive isn't polite word I think for it <laughs> and pushy is another one but you know yeah yeah it's, you do have to advocate for yourself there's a lot of people in people's in trays I worked in the NHS I know everyone's hugely busy but you know you need to keep yourself somewhere at the top of the inbox as it probably is now rather than in tray. <laughs> as a part of our commitment to helping anyone affected by lung cancer, we have a free lung cancer Ask the Nurse helpline to provide information, advice and support. You may want to know more about a lung cancer diagnosis, a type of treatment or what support is available near you. Whatever your question, we will make time for you and go out of our way to give you the help and support you need. Call us now on 0800 358 And you were, you were talking a bit there about you've brought your own experience of, of working in the NHS and Stephen, you've brought your, your scientific knowledge. And again, I, I think sometimes when someone is affected by lung cancer, you know, you become transformed from husband and wife and that healthy person, marathon running, dog walking, partnership to patient and carer. How did you both respond to that? And, and how comfortable are you with the times when you need to be compliant as a patient or a carer and, and how much you can kind of change people's assumptions about what, as you say, being a pushy patient is mm -hmm. all about? I think it came naturally. You just you're naturally thrown into this situation you don't particularly want, but you go, we went along with it. And so we're not afraid to ask the questions, I guess. Uh, we're not afraid to do some research to get more questions and push forward. And working together, it worked naturally. And even when Jane started uh, the chemotherapy and for a few months after that. It was a period of time that things went quiet, perhaps. That's what I wanted to do more, to try and uh, get in touch with Roy Castle, uh, Lung Cancer Foundation, and start doing more you know, advocacy sort of work from that point of view. So there's always a bit of a challenge, something to do, something to be useful, if you like, from a carer point of view. And Jane didn't need caring in the uh, usual sort of way. She was completely fine. <laughs> didn't need my help from that point of view. So I thought something else I could do was uh, get more uh, proactively involved in uh, awareness and fundraising and things like that. I think from my perspective, 
you know, Stephen's been such a great support. Um, I through treatment again, I was fortunate and didn't get to knock sideways by stuff. Um, but we've kept going together, I think, as a partnership. And rather for, rather than focusing on it initially, we had the chemo, I had chemotherapy and then I had radiotherapy, which took us up to near Christmas. And I thought rather than focusing on, we had to go every day for six weeks and it's a couple of hours drive from here each way. So it's four hours round trips. Um, and I was thinking, well, rather than focusing on that, I've always had a thing in my head of, unless I'm, I'm not going to be ill, unless I feel ill, you know, just because someone's told me that I, I am ill, <laughs> I'm, you know, I'm going to keep going just as I am. And if I feel ill, then, you know, maybe I'll have a, a lie down, but otherwise I'm going to just keep going and see how things go. So during radiotherapy is when I decided to start fundraising. I thought, well, let's, let's try and make a go of it and see what, you know, if we can raise some money out of a bad situation. And actually that focused my mind on something quite positive as well. And the community had been brilliant around here and people were saying, well, we'll hold a garden party or we'll hold a barbecue. And, you know, I, I ended up going into town. I'd go and take the dog to the vet and the receptionist would give me 10 pounds or, you know, and I'd be like, really? You know, and that's kind of, while I've carried on doing runs, I've put up the fundraising links and we're over 27,000 pounds now, you know, which was just from almost a kind of, well, let's do something good in a bad situation back in, it was 2014 when I was first diagnosed. So, you know, it's kind of rumbled on, but, you know, it's also actually brought awareness to the community as well, because, you know, I went to an art class and one of the girls there said, oh, I'm sure I've got you to thank. She said, I went to the GP with a cough and I've had an x-ray. And I thought, perfect. Wonderful. You know, and that's, you know, it kind of comes back to me as a bit of a feedback. But you kind of think also, hopefully, this little patch of West Wales might know a bit more about lung cancer just because we've held community events and they've been so supportive of it. Mm-hmm. So while they don't know the ins and outs of it, they're aware that someone... I didn't really fit the profile for for lung cancer because they were used to seeing me running and suddenly I'm advanced lung cancer. And I think that helps to promote awareness and perhaps reduce the stigma a bit mm-hmm. around who might be you know, susceptible to it. Yeah. Um, and we've recently had a, an article put in Runners World and I thought, well, that's a really good place to get an article because you know, I was running. I didn't think I was at risk of it. Um, so it's probably a kind of cohort of people that are not really having lung cancer on their radar and may well never need to have it on their radar, but it was nice to be in a publication that isn't your normal, you know, people who would be on the lookout, I suppose. And we are looking at Lung Cancer Awareness Month um, and as you say, eight years on from your initial diagnosis. So, So what does awareness mean to you you've clearly contributed so much to the local community but do you think it is important to have lung cancer awareness month do you think there's still work to be done oh I think definitely I think you know I think as well it's difficult because once you're diagnosed you're much more tuned into lung cancer than before you're diagnosed if that makes sense so you know I've, I've I've obviously been doing a lot for Roy Castle Lung Cancer Foundation since diagnosis. But if I think back, how much did I know about awareness of lung cancer before diagnosis is probably where a lot of the rest of, you know, the population are, I guess, you know. And so unless you've had a personal experience of it, you know, it's that awareness about, you know, having a cough and, you know, anything that worries you really. And, um, 
you know, we've done park runs and things in Lung Cancer Awareness Month and put up banners and balloons and people bring cakes and we have a rattle a bucket, you know, and, and again, that's our little community bit. But people come up, to, a lot of people come and talk to me about cancer, whether it's lung cancer or other cancers, um, almost because we've got that in common. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's nice as well, because it gives people someone, you know, just to sound stuff off. And as we touched on earlier, you know, I'm very cautious about giving people any advice that would, you know, I'm not a medic. I'd be like a kind of, oh, well, that might be worth talking to your oncologist about, or, you know, have you got a support group or, or like Roy Castle Lung Cancer Helpline, you know, and pointing people in a direction where they can get professional advice or support, you know, whether it be the forums or whether it's just a community thing. Um, but I think awareness even the GPs, my, I mean, I was very lucky with my GP um, that she sent me for that x-ray because, you know, in nine, and she was very good afterwards as well. She rang up, you know, rang home and was like, kind of, are you all right? Because she'd obviously heard the results. Yeah. Um, you know, so there was a nice, as nice as it can be, I suppose, feel mm-hmm. around because I think everyone was shocked a bit. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, so our practice here may be more aware of it because of that mm-hmm. shock, mm-hmm. but... You know, if I had similar and went to a different surgery, I wonder if they would have done the same, mm-hmm. in which case I might have been stage four or presenting at A&E by that point. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I think COVID's done a bit as well with stopping people going to GPs, either because they don't want to catch COVID and people potentially might be being told not to go to GP surgeries because you've got a cough and they think it might be something mm-hmm. COVID-wise. So that's a difficult one to um, square off really, I suppose, because people have got the symptoms that aren't always COVID and yet being told to stay away from surgeries. And that's kind of eased off a bit now with all of the vaccinations and everyone. But I I would still go back to our earlier point again. And if you're worried about something, keep going and, you know, don't get batted off by, you know, I love receptionists, but don't be batted off by them. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've got a great respect for the NHS, having worked in it, and and the people who work in it. But I think you do need to keep asking sometimes and not be dissuaded. Uh, dissuaded. And that, again, might be a generational thing as well, mm-hmm. because I know, you know, the old generation, my mum might be like, oh, well, I wouldn't want to bother the doctor with it. And I'm like, yes, bother them you know ring up mum <laughs> you know I'll ring them for you and she's like you know but that's a different or I'll say I'll email them and she's like oh how do you know their emails you know I was like well I asked mm-hmm. you know that's so you know if the older population are more prone to lung cancer potentially they might be missing out on that mm-hmm. level of interaction mm-hmm. I suppose. so mm-hmm. but back to your original question yes awareness I think is very important and I think people need to be aware and need to do everything they can to drive their own care, really. We hope you've enjoyed this Let's Talk About Lung Cancer podcast. For even more information on all lung cancer-related matters, please visit roycastle.org. We look forward to you joining us next time.